No, I've been drowning in allergies all week. Um, went and got my test Thursday or Wednesday it was and got all clear on that. And so if I sound a little off today, that's, <clears throat> that's why I've still got quite a bit of congestion. But other than that, I'm doing good otherwise. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to make a few points of clarification from last week. I had misspoken and I want to kind of um, recant some statements I made last Sunday. The first is that I mentioned when I was reading through Acts, especially Acts chapter 7, I made mention that Saul was writing this out and he was placing himself in the story. I misspoke. Acts was not written by Saul. It's written by Luke, one of his, um, his close co-workers in the ministry. And so I misspoke on that end. The other thing I had mentioned was that as they were stoning Stephen, that as Saul walked up, they were throwing their cloaks and their, their clothes on the ground before him. And I made mention that they're doing that so he wouldn't sully his feet, wouldn't dirty his feet. But in further reading and examination, it's been made clear to me that that was not indeed the case, but rather that the men stoning Stephen had taken off their cloaks and their outer garments and laid them aside, and Saul was simply standing over them, guarding them. And so I just wanted to make sure that I, I made those clarifications to you this morning. But we are going to jump in this morning to Saul to look at his story. And obviously Saul is a character that we could spend probably an entire year studying. Um, he, he writes the majority of our New Testament. He is quite possibly the most important biblical Christian that we have as far as all of the scripture that he writes. Because keep in mind, a lot of the writings that we have from Paul come to us from before the Gospels were even written by the Gospel writers. But Saul, you know, he, he starts out, he is the villain to the Christian church. He is the big villain at that. We're not talking a small fry character here. He is the biggest adversary to the early followers of Christ. There's a lot of details we have to know about Saul. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's raised in Roman tradition. He has Hebrew ancestry. He, he goes back and he, he trains to become a rabbi and, and, and later a Pharisee. And he does so under, and I've got I've to turn to my notes here, because um, we mentioned him earlier and I always get his name, his name wrong. Gamaliel. He trained under Gamaliel, the prominent rabbi in Jerusalem, when he received his rabbinic training. And if you recall that name, that was the, the Pharisee that spoke up during Stephen's trial saying, hey, we might be wrong on this. We might be fighting against God himself. So if you recall that story from last week, just know that that was the Pharisee that trained Saul in his rabbinic training. All of these things are, even, are, are interwoven, you see. But we have Saul... He's a Pharisee, he's, he's high society, he has a great power and influence, not just through the Roman courts, but through the Jerusalem culture as well, or the, the Hebrew culture as well. And he sees a threat to all that they hold dear and holy. And keep in mind, it's easy for us to look back at the scripture and to see the Pharisees, the, see the Sanhedrin court, see guys like Saul and paint them out to be just the, the most evil, villainous people in history. But they thought very strongly that they were doing the will of God, that they were preserving 
what was holy and divine, that Jesus was a blaspheming rabbi and that his followers were a, a degradation of everything that they held dear. And so for Saul, when we see him playing this role of villain, he is doing so in a way that he's trying to preserve his culture. He's trying to protect his people from being led astray. Because Jesus shows up and he's telling them that they don't have to do stuff like blood sacrifices anymore. He's telling them stuff that like he is the son of God, and that they should find God through him and not through the scriptures and not through their own rabbis, etc. He's, he's completely changing the paradigm of everything that they knew and believed. And so Saul makes it his mission to put out the fire of Christianity in the Middle East. And we see, of course, we see it mentioned in last week when the Sanhedrin court is talking and they say, look, if this really was just Jesus, just some dude who is a self-proclaimed Messiah, we've seen him a thousand times before, all of this stuff, they'll all disappear, this thing will be snuffed out, that's all what it always happens with these self-proclaimed Messiahs. I mentioned last week that we've seen that for the 2,000 years since with people who try to start cults and claim to be a prophet or a messiah. Um, but it's getting cold. Okay, I bumped it back up. It was stuffy when we came in. But um, it'll kick off in a second. And so we, we see this, this playing out with our characters, our, our, our men, our, our women in the early Christian church because they're willing to die for this. This is not something that is just a, a, a convenience for them. And we see that today, right? People like to grasp onto truths or ideas that are convenient, that fall into their belief, that make their lives easier. People often like to do that to cling to beliefs and, and ideologies that make their lives easier. This was not the case with Christianity. To choose to follow Christ meant to literally make your life the most difficult thing imaginable because every level of society, the Hebrew society, the Roman society, all of these things were directly set against you, looking to crucify you for those beliefs. It wasn't about being easier. That's something that perseveres throughout the early Christian church, these early apostles and disciples willing to die for these truths, and they never change their mind about it. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 this morning, and we're going to look at his conversion. What I consider to be the last great miracle of Jesus Christ, turning this guy around on a 180. <clears throat> it says, chapter 9, verse 1 of Acts, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named from Tarsus called Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias and come and placed his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, and Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man has chosen, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And so we see the story of Saul and his conversion. And there's some debate, some uh, biblical debate about whether or not Saul was saved on the street in that moment he met Christ or later while he was in Damascus. But regardless of the fact, he changed his life completely. And he chose to go from a life of power and authority and influence, being able to just make his will absolute everywhere he went, to one of persecution and suffering. He made this choice willingly regardless uh, of the benefits of that. And you know, there's a lot of, of debate about the facts of this book, about the disciples, about whether or not they were making this whole thing up. And we've talked about that in depth as we've gone through the disciples. But there's no better example of the truth behind our Gospels than Saul. Why would Saul give all of this up for a lie? What benefit did he have? to change course for a lie. Saul's name is a Hebrew name, and it means to be asked for, to be requested, to be called for. Paul is a Greek name. This new name that he takes on, Paul, it, it goes to uh, reflect that he is now directed towards the Gentiles, that he is going to be a minister for the Gentiles. But Paul is a Greek, and it means small or humble recognizing that Paul is now realizing his place in the world, that his power, that his influence, that his authority mean nothing in comparison to God. And we see that carried out throughout his writings, right? We see that Paul continually talks about how humbled he is by the grace of God, how humbled he is in the presence of the other disciples, how, how much suffering he has to endure for all the wrongs that he did. Paul goes out... <clears throat> into the world, and I mean the world quite literally. This is the, the European world that Paul is exploring, the Roman Empire, you know, at, at quite possibly one of its greatest heights of power and influence. And he knows that 
Roman culture believes, for the most part, or the Romans want Roman culture to believe, that Caesar is God. That there is no other divine authority other than the ruler of the Roman Empire, right? We, we see this, this theme pop up from time to time. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we see these things transpire, transpiring, we have to recognize the fact that, that Paul is willingly putting himself into these situations. He is willingly putting himself in these threats of, of death. But Paul... I don't want to say he takes pleasure in it, but as we saw with the disciples last week, when they go in before the court and they come out and they are boasting that they are able to suffer for the sake of Christ, Paul realizes that it is a good thing to suffer for Christ. Not a bad thing. The fact that we suffer, the fact that we choose to follow Christ and suffer, is not a sign that we are in the wrong, but rather that we are in the right. Because keep in mind, once again, we serve not this world, but a higher kingdom. And because of that, we will always be set against the world and the earthly ways of it. But I want to jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning, because we know about Paul. All of us here today, we, we are very familiar with Paul's journey, with his imprisonment, with the writings that he sends out to the churches, with his, his love and his passion towards his fellow brothers in Christ and the other missionaries. And we know that Paul, he he is a man who has a lot of guilt weighing in his heart <clears throat> for the things that he had done. Because we don't see anyone with the, the sinful baggage that Paul brings into the story. Yeah, we've got characters like Moses, you know, who, who, who killed the Egyptian and then ran into, in, into hiding. We've got other drunks. We've got other people who have run away from the missions like, you know, Jonah who, who ran away when he was called to go to Nineveh. We have our fair share of, of liars, of murderers, of adulterers who God uses. But no one comes close to the sins of Saul. And yet, God uses him anyways. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, it says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way that the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. So Paul's writing here, and he, he makes it very clear in verse 16. He says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but since you are anyways, let me play the part. I love this. This scripture is, is beautifully written. We often take everything in this Bible as the word of God being translated through his people, through his writings. But notice here in verse 17, he says, in this self-boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Paul is literally writing here and saying, let it make, make no mistakes about it. This is not me telling you what the Lord has laid on my heart. This is me about to say, tell you all the worldly things that you would expect a fool to say. Okay? So we have to understand that context. But he's saying these things. He's like, you're so wise. 
you know that with fools, it's best just to sit there and smile and nod and say, yes, yes, okay. We all know those people, right? The people who, who the fools of the world, and we know that with a lot of them, the best thing to do is just smile and nod along and not argue with them because you know you're not going to change their mind. And so, so Paul is taking on this role. Because think about it for a second. The enemies in Paul's life right now were his friends, his co-workers, his allies not that long ago. They see a man of power and influence like Paul decide to fight against the most powerful force in the world, the Roman Empire. How could he not be a fool to do that? How could he not be a fool to do that? But Paul's writing about this self-boasting, and, he, and he's saying, okay, if, if I'm the fool, let me play the fool, and I'm going to start boasting. I'm going to start boasting about all these wonderful things this foolish life is bringing me, he says. He says, he continues on in verse 21, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are, the Hebrew, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger of false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have been often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my own concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, whom is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Dam Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Man, <clears throat> when Paul writes all this, we begin to recognize the fact that he is not having an easy time of it in his, his efforts and the ministry. He's talking about being shipwrecked. He's talking about being jumped and ambushed by bandits. He's talking about being cold and naked and hungry and afraid and all of these things. Every step of his journey. And yet, he perseveres. And yet, he continues down this path. And yet, he continues to preach the gospel of Christ everywhere he goes. And half of these things that he mentions are just parts of traveling throughout the Middle East during this time in the, of the world, right? But keep in mind, this is a man that goes from being the high priest, Saul of Tarsus, who has armed convoy everywhere he goes, who has, who has Roman soldiers at his beck and call, to being alone in a shipwrecked sea 
drifting by itself, to being alone in a cave somewhere sheltering out a storm, to being alone when he is jumped by bandits. He goes from not having a care in the world to having the world at his disposal to having the entire world against him. Like that. For what, a lie? For what, some, some self-proclaimed rabbi who was just really popular with a small group of people? No, 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 no. He wouldn't have done that for a man. He wouldn't have done that for a lie. But Paul, we can almost read frustration in his voice as he writes these things because he is being called a fool everywhere he goes for this decision to follow Christ. And I can almost read between the lines and and, and kind of paraphrase and say, oh, a fool am I? You think I'm a fool? Do you think that as a fool I would endure? And he goes into the floggings and the beatings, the arrests, the difficulties that are placed before him everywhere that he goes. And not only that, not only that, he says. He says in verse 28, besides everything else, after he lists all these things the world is doing against him, all the physical and emotional turmoil that he endures day in and day out as he tries to spread the news of Christ, he says, besides all of this other stuff, the beatings and the floggings and all of these things, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. He says, not only am I enduring the world and everything that it's throwing against me, but I am also enduring the heartbreak that I have towards our churches that are being persecuted, towards my Christian brothers and sisters. I am also every day losing sleep, filled with anxiety and worry and fear for the Christian churches. That is a, a great weight that I carry upon me. If I must boast, he continues in verse 30, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Man, do we have a lot to learn from Paul to boast about our weakness. Where I am weak, thou art strong. See, it is in our, our, our weakness that God is glorified. It is when we suffer, when we stumble, when we, when we mess up, when we are at our lowest that God shines the brightest quite often. Because think about it, when, when our lives are going great and the world is, is, is seemingly just rolling a red carpet out in front of us and we don't have any hiccups, we are very reluctant to give God the glory in those times. COVID being an exception to the rule, but historians have often said there's no greater thing for the church than calamity. Right? We, we see that. Those of you on this side of the room, you spent your life watching the churches fill back up when times get rough in the world. Because that's when we seek God. Just like when I'm muddling through all this stuff, I don't open the medicine cabinet unless I'm in need of something. And we, as followers, as believers, are often just as guilty with Christ. We often don't go to Him. Hopefully all of us in this room go to Him every day regardless, but most of the world probably turns to God only in times of the need. And Paul, he recognizes this, and he, 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 he boasts about his suffering. 
he boasts about the fact that this is a hard life to live. And he's, he's almost proud of the fact. Being a Christian, being a good person, even, in this world, is difficult. It's hard. It's the hardest thing to do. I think it's a Johnny Cash quote that says, it takes a bigger man to live for God than it does for the devil. It's harder. It takes more grit. It takes more endurance. It takes more perseverance to live for God than to live for this world. This world that our scripture so often says is ruled by the evil one. We see throughout the scripture that, that Satan has his way here in the world. He, he can do whatever, go wherever, be whatever. This, this is his domain, this world. See, that's a, a common misconception running rampant today that I think is, is an underlying issue in a, a bigger societal sense. This idea that Satan is this, this red-horned guy down in hell somewhere far removed from our lives. That's not the case. He's not down there yet. The apocalypse hasn't happened. Archangel, the Archangel Michael has not slayed the great dragon. And, and No, Satan's here on this world. And he's playing to our strengths, our perceived strengths. We often like to think that he's sitting there next to the drunk, giving him another bottle. No, 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 no. Now see, Satan likes to get on our strengths. You deserve this. Look at you. You're great. You're awesome. You don't need this. You don't need that. You deserve this, this, this. this. He's, he's playing to our ego making us think that we don't need help, making us think that we don't need God, that we don't need Scripture, that we don't need help. Think about it. Now, this is not just me making this up. Think about the way he approaches Jesus in the wilderness. He plays to that. He plays to that, doesn't he? Call the angels. Turn the bread into food. You can do this. He plays to Jesus' strengths. Notice when Satan goes to Jesus, he doesn't say, Oh, you're awful. Oh, you're, you're bad. Oh, you're this, that, and the other, and try to tear him down. No. Rather, he tries to build Jesus up to get him into his own hubris and his own ego. You can do whatever you want to, Jesus. If you're hungry, turn the, the, the rock into bread and eat it. You can do this. You're powerful. You're this. You're that. You're... Whereas God, God is there in our weakness. And it seems, it seems wrong, right? Like, and, and, and our brain's like, no, 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 no. Satan, Satan's our, our bad stuff, and God's our... But what I'm getting at here is that God completes us. God fills those holes, those voids in our lives, because none of us are perfect. All of us have sin, all of us have faults, all of us have our different faults. Those seven deadly sins... We don't have all of them, right? Some of us, lust is the big problem. Some of us, it's wrath. Some of us, it's envy. But God helps to, to be there during those weaknesses. And, and Paul writes about that quite a bit. He, he understands and recognizes that the weaker he is for God, the more glory shines through. The more he suffers, the more the glory of God is a testament in his life. The story of Paul is a powerful one because it shows us that there is nobody beyond the reach of God. Nobody. Jesus appears to him on the road 
and his life is changed forever, and he gives up everything to follow Jesus. Almost all of our other disciples, it's kind of, I don't want to say easy, but they didn't have as much to give up. They didn't have power and the influence that Paul or Saul had. They're fishermen, right? They're folks like you and I. They, they, they weren't high priests. The best comparison, I guess, to make here is to compare Saul and Nicodemus. We talked about Nicodemus several Sundays ago. Saul and Nicodemus. High priests, powerful, members of the Sanhedrin court. Nicodemus wasn't quite willing to give up the power and the influence. He recognized something in Christ, but he wasn't quite ready to go all in. Saul does. And look at what happens because of that, because Saul goes all in. And he suffers for it. Suffers in a way that none of us will ever have to suffer. Hopefully. But our lives as Christians is not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be easy. The world is not supposed to just hand us everything on a silver platter because we chose to be Christian. We often want that to be the case. We want this world to be a Christian world because it makes it easier for us to live our lives as Christians if the world is Christian. But the Bible makes no point to say that that's going to be the case. We are beings of light living in a dark world. And that will be the case until the new world is made. And so as you you leave church today, reflect on the life of Paul. Reflect on what it means to go all in. Reflect on what it means to truly be willing to give up your comforts, to give up your ease, to give up the things and conveniences, to be true followers of Christ. To preach the mission and the message of Jesus, regardless of what it will cost you. He knew it would cost him his life. He knew it would cost him his strength. He knew it would cost him his physical body, but he did it anyways, over and over and over and over again, everywhere he went. It's hard. It's hard. Because I'll tell you right here, in all of my humility, that if you told me God wanted me to go to North Korea and stand on a city street and preach the message of Jesus Christ, I would not go. No, that fear is too strong in my heart. But I know that that's what separates me from guys like Paul. Because Paul would in a heartbeat. He did. Literally, that's what he did throughout his ministry. Go into the hearts of the enemy. Go into places where it was outlawed, where you were killed on sight for preaching these messages. And he did anyways. He suffered for it. But he found strength and comfort in that suffering. And so when you're struggling in the world and you're doing good and you're trying to follow Christ and you're trying to do the things that God calls on your heart, but you're continually just bombarded and beat down by the world, know that as Paul writes, you're doing that for the glory of God. You are suffering for God's sake. That quite oftentimes, it's a sign that you're doing the right thing when the world is against you. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the testimony of of Paul. 
Lord God, we thank you for his story, for his conversion, for the, the things that he was able to write. We thank you for his scriptures, Lord God, for his letters, for all these wonderful things that we have to learn from. Lord God, we live difficult lives. We live lives that are often at odds with the world, but let us be reminded each and every day that that means that we are suffering for your sake. Lord God, this life is not easy. It is a narrow path. It is a difficult path. But Lord God, we ask that your Holy Spirit just to strengthen us. Strengthen us. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our will. Strengthen our perseverance, Lord God, that we can continue to carry on the mission of Christ. Lord God, we pray each and every day that you continue to bless us, to forgive us, and to guide us down the path that you have established before us. We pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hatridge Sermons podcast. I greatly encourage everyone listening to make sure you subscribe, rate, and review if your podcasting platform allows that. If there is a platform that you enjoy that this podcast is not available on, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know so that we can make that happen. As always, if you know of anyone who could use this word, use these messages, if there's any particular sermon that speaks to you about someone in your life, feel free to share this episode and this podcast with others. As always, it is a blessing to be able to reach more people through this audio form with our sermons that you don't have to attend in person in order to receive the message of God. That being said, you are always welcome to visit us in person at either the Ben Loman Cumberland Presbyterian Church with services at 10 a.m. on Sundays or the Brownstown Community Church, which has services at 11. You are more than welcome at either one of those churches, and we look forward to seeing you. Thank you again for listening, and Godspeed. Thank you.